You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is Lecture 4 of The Spiritual Beings in the Heavenly Bodies and in the Kingdoms of Nature by Rudolf Steiner. If we wish to know the nature of the spiritual forces and powers active in the different kingdoms of nature and in the heavenly bodies, we must first become acquainted with these spiritual beings themselves as we have already begun to do in the three lectures that have already been given. In these we tried to characterize the so-called nature spirits and then ascended to the beings who stand immediately above humanity and whom we can find in the next higher world to our own. We will continue these considerations today and must therefore link them to what has already been said about the way in which we can raise ourselves to the beings of the third hierarchy. As shown in the last lecture, it is possible for human beings to rise above themselves, to subdue all their own special egoistic interests, in order by that means to rise into a sphere where they first of all find their own guide, who can give them some idea of those beings called angels or angeloi in Western esotericism. We then pointed out further progress along this path leads... Let me read that again... We then pointed out how further progress along this path leads to knowledge of the folk or nation spirits, whom we spoke of as angels or archangeloi. We spoke of how in the course of cultural civilizations we find the so-called spirits of the age or archai. Now, if we follow the path roughly indicated yesterday, we gain a certain feeling for what is meant by these beings of the third hierarchy and Yet, even if we go through an occult development, we will for a long time have only a sort of feeling for this. Only if we go patiently and with perseverance through all the feelings and perceptions mentioned yesterday can we pass over to what may be called clairvoyant vision of the beings of the third hierarchy. If therefore we progress further along this way, we shall find that gradually we educate ourselves, developing in ourselves a different state of consciousness and then we can begin to have a clairvoyant consciousness of the beings of the third hierarchy. In other words, when we follow this way further, we will find that we gradually train ourselves to another condition of consciousness, and that then a clairvoyant perception of the third hierarchy can begin. This other condition of consciousness can be compared with human sleep because in this condition a person feels the I and astral body freed from the physical and etheric bodies. We must have a perception of this feeling of freedom. We must gradually learn what it means not to see with our eyes, hear with our ears, or think with our intellect, which is connected with the brain. Again, we must distinguish this condition from that of ordinary sleep, inasmuch as in it we are not unconscious, for we have perceptions of the spiritual beings in our environment, at first only dimly sensing them, until, as has been described, clairvoyant consciousness lights up within us, and we get a living view of the beings of the third hierarchy and of their offspring, the nature spirits. If we wish to describe this condition more accurately, 
we may say that whoever raises themselves through occult development to this condition actually perceives a sort of demarcation between ordinary consciousness and this new condition of consciousness. Just as we can distinguish between waking and sleeping, so to one who has gone through occult development, there is at first a distinction between the consciousness in which one sees with one's ordinary eyes, hears with one's ordinary ears, and thinks with the ordinary intellect, and that clairvoyant condition in which there is nothing at all around one of what one perceives in normal consciousness, but rather another world, the world of the third hierarchy and its offspring. The first achievement is learning to remember in ordinary consciousness what one has experienced in this other condition of consciousness. This enables us to distinguish accurately a certain stage in human occult development, the stage when we can live alternately in ordinary consciousness, seeing, hearing and thinking like other people, and the other condition of consciousness that we can, in a sense, produce voluntarily, and in which we perceive what is around us in the spiritual world of the third hierarchy. And in this case, just as we remember a dream, so we can remember in ordinary consciousness what we experienced in the other clairvoyant condition. We can talk about it. We can translate into ordinary conceptions and ideas what we experience in the clairvoyant state. Thus a seer, who in the ordinary condition of consciousness wishes to know something of the spiritual world or to relate something about it, must call to mind what was experienced in the other, the clairvoyant conditions of consciousness. A clairvoyant, having reached this stage of development, can only know something of those beings whom we have described as the beings of the third hierarchy and their offspring. A clairvoyant can at first know nothing of higher worlds. A clairvoyant who wishes to know of these must attain a still higher stage of clairvoyant vision. This higher stage is reached by continually practicing the exercises described in my book Knowledge of the Higher Worlds and How to Attain It, especially by going through the exercises described there as the observation, for instance, of a plant or an animal and so forth. If one continues the exercises in this way, one attains a higher stage of clairvoyance. This stage consists not only in having two alternate conditions of consciousness and being able to remember clairvoyant experiences in the normal condition, but also having attained this higher stage of clairvoyance of perceiving spiritual worlds, spiritual beings and spiritual facts when looking at the things of the external world through one's eyes in one's ordinary condition of consciousness. One can then, so to speak, carry one's clairvoyant vision over into one's ordinary consciousness and can see behind the beings around one in the external world the spiritual beings and forces everywhere more deeply concealed as though behind a veil. We may ask what has happened to a clairvoyant who is able not merely to remember the experiences of another condition of consciousness, but who can have clairvoyant experiences in his or her own everyday consciousness. If someone has ascended only to the first stage, they can only make use of their astral body in order to look into the spiritual world. Thus, the body which a person makes use of at the first stage of clairvoyance is the astral body. At the second stage of clairvoyance, which has just been described, the person learns to make use of the etheric body. By means of this, one can even in ordinary normal consciousness look into the spiritual world. If one learns to use one's etheric body in this way as an instrument for clairvoyance, 
one gradually learns to perceive everything in the spiritual world belonging to the beings of the second hierarchy. But a person must not remain at this stage, only perceiving his or her own etheric body, so to speak. On attaining the second stage of clairvoyance, one has a very definite experience. One has the experience of seeming to go out of oneself and, as it were, of no longer feeling enclosed within one's skin. When, let us say, one encounters a plant or an animal or even another human being, one feels as if a part of oneself were within the other being. One feels as if immersed in the other being. In normal consciousness, and even when we have reached the first stage of clairvoyance, we can still say in a certain sense, quote, I am here, and that being which I see is there, unquote. At the second stage of clairvoyance, we can no longer say this. We can only say, quote, where the being is that I perceive, there I myself am. Unquote. It is as though our etheric body stretched out tentacles on all sides and drew us within the beings into whom we, perceiving them, plunge our own being. There is a feeling belonging to our ordinary normal consciousness that can give us an idea of this clairvoyant experience, except for the fact that what the clairvoyant of the second stage experiences is infinitely more intense than a feeling, for it amounts to a perception, an understanding of, an immersion in another being. The feeling I refer to, which can be compared to this experience of the clairvoyant, is sympathy, love. What does it really imply when we feel sympathy and love in ordinary life? If we ponder more closely on the nature of sympathy and love, this was slightly touched upon yesterday, we find that sympathy and love cause us to detach ourselves from ourselves. Let me say that again. We find that sympathy and love cause us to detach ourselves from ourselves and to pass over into the life of another being. It is truly a wonderful mystery of human life that we are able to feel sympathy and love. There is scarcely anything among the ordinary phenomena of normal consciousness that can so convince us of the divinity of existence as the possibility of developing love and sympathy. As human beings we experience our existence in our own selves, and we experience the world by perceiving it with our senses or grasping it with our reason. It is not possible for any intellect, for any EYEI, to look into the human heart, to gaze into the human soul. For the soul of another keeps enclosed in its innermost chamber what it contains of joy or sorrow. And truly it should appear as a wonderful mystery to anyone that we can, as it were, pour ourselves into the being of other souls, live in their life and share their joys and sorrows. So, just as we with our normal consciousness can by means of sympathy and love plunge into the sorrows and joys of conscious beings, so clairvoyants learn at the second stage of clairvoyance not only to plunge into everything conscious, into everything that can suffer and rejoice in a human way or in a manner resembling the human, but to plunge into everything that is alive. Notice that I say everything living. For at this second stage one only learns to plunge into living things, not yet into what is without life or appears lifeless, dead, and which we see around us as the mineral kingdom. But this immersing oneself into living things is connected with a view of what goes on in the inner nature of those beings. We feel ourselves there, within the living beings. At this second stage of clairvoyance we learn to live with plants, animals, and with other human beings. But not only this, 
We also learn to recognize behind all living things a higher spiritual world, the beings of the second hierarchy. It is necessary that we should form a clear idea of these connections, for if one only enumerated what sort of beings belong to the various hierarchies, that would seem just a dry theory. We can only gain a living idea of what lives and weaves behind the sense world if we know the path by which clairvoyant consciousness penetrates it. Now, beginning once more from the human being, we will try to describe the beings of the second hierarchy. We saw yesterday that the beings of the third hierarchy are characterized by the fact that instead of human perception, they have the manifestation of their own being. And instead of human inner life, they have what we may call Quote, being filled with the spirit. Unquote. When we plunge into the beings of the second hierarchy, we experience that not only is their perception a manifestation of their being, not only do they manifest their own being, but that this manifestation remains as something independent that separates from these beings themselves. We can gain an idea of what we thus perceive if we think of a snail which separates off its own shell. The shell, we understand, consists of a substance that is at first contained in the body of the snail. The snail then detaches it. Not only does the snail manifest its own being externally, but it detaches something which then becomes objective and remains. So it is with the actual nature, with the selfhood of the beings of the second hierarchy. Not only do they manifest their selfhood as do the beings of the third hierarchy, but they detach it from themselves so that it remains as an independent being. This will be clearer to us if we picture on the one hand a being of the third hierarchy and on the other hand a being of the second hierarchy. Let us direct our occult vision to a being of the third hierarchy. We recognize this being as such because it manifests its selfhood, its inner life, externally. And in this manifestation it has its perception. But if it were to change its inner perception, its inner experience, the outer manifestation would also be different. As the inner condition of these beings of the third hierarchy change and their experiences vary, so do the external manifestations continually change. But if you look at a being of the second hierarchy with occult vision, it is quite different. These beings also perceive and experience inwardly, but what they experience is detached from them like a sort of shell or skin. It acquires independent existence. If a being of the second hierarchy then passes on into another inner condition, has a different perception and manifests in a new way, the old manifestation of the being will still exist. It still remains and does not pass away, as happens in the case of a being of the third hierarchy. We can call what appears, instead of manifestation in a being of the second hierarchy, a self-creation, a sort of shell or skin. It creates, as it were, an impression of itself, makes itself objective in a sort of image. <clears throat> that is what distinguishes the beings of the second hierarchy. And if we ask ourselves what appears in these beings, in the place where the beings of the third hierarchy are, quote, filled with the spirit, unquote, it is shown to occult vision that every time a being detaches such a picture or image of itself, life is stimulated. The stimulation of life is always the result of such a self-creation. Thus we must distinguish in the beings of the third hierarchy their external life in their manifestation and their inner life in their, quote, being filled with spirit, unquote. In the beings of the second hierarchy we must distinguish their external side as a creating of themselves, a making of themselves objective in images, in pictures, 
and their inner activity as the stimulation of life, as if fluidity continually rippled in itself and congealed as it detached its image externally. This approximately represents to occult vision the external and internal fulfillment of the beings of the second hierarchy. While the being filled with the spirit of the beings of the third hierarchy appears to occult vision in picture and imagination as a sort of spiritual light, so is the fluidic life, the stimulation of life that is connected with an external separation, perceived in such a way that occult perception hears something like spiritual tone, the music of the spheres. It is like spiritual sound, not like spiritual light as in the case of the third hierarchy. We can distinguish several categories among these beings of the second hierarchy, just as we did among the beings of the third hierarchy. To distinguish between these categories will be more difficult, however, for the higher we ascend, the more difficult it becomes. In the course of our ascent, we must first of all gain some idea of all that underlies the world surrounding us, insofar as the world around us has forms. I have already said that, as regards this second stage of clairvoyance, we need only consider what is living, not what appears lifeless to us. What lives comes into consideration, but what lives has, in the first place, form. Plants have form, animals have form, human beings have form. If clairvoyant vision is directed with all the qualities we have described today to everything around us in nature that has form, and if we look away from all the other parts of the beings and only see the forms, considering the multiplicity of the forms among plants, as also among animals and human beings. This clairvoyant vision then perceives from the totality of the beings of the second hierarchy those which we call the spirits of form, the exousiae. We can, however, turn our attention to something besides the form in the beings around us in nature. We know, indeed, that everything that lives changes its form in a certain respect as it grows. This change, this alteration of form, this metamorphosis, strikes us more particularly in the plant world. Now, as we direct not ordinary vision but clairvoyant vision of the second stage to the growing plant world, we see how the plant gradually gains its form, how it passes from the form of the root to the form of the leaf to the form of the flower to the form of the fruit. If we look at the growing animal, at the growing human being, we do not really consider a form as it exists at a given moment. We see the growth of the living being. If we allow ourselves to be stimulated by this contemplation of the growth of the living being, reflecting on how the forms change, on how they are in active metamorphosis, then clairvoyant vision of the second stage becomes aware of what we call the category of the spirits of motion, the dunamis. It is still more difficult to consider the third category of beings of the second hierarchy, for we must consider neither the form as such, nor the changes of form, nor the movement, but what is expressed in the form. We can describe how we may train ourselves to this. Of course, it does not suffice to train our ordinary normal consciousness in the way that has been described. One must be helped by the use of the other exercises that raise one to occult vision. We must perform such exercises, educating ourselves not with ordinary consciousness but with clairvoyant consciousness. Clairvoyant consciousness must first educate itself in the way a human being becomes, in outer form, the expression of the inner being. As we have said, this can also be done by the normal consciousness, but in normal consciousness 
one would attain to nothing but conjecture, a supposition of what may lie behind the bearing gestures and facial expressions of a human being. But when clairvoyant vision, that has already been trained to the second stage of clairvoyance, allows the human physiognomy, gestures, and facial expressions to work upon it, this produces impulses through which one can gradually train oneself to observe the beings of the third category of the second hierarchy. But this cannot take place. Please note, if one merely observes the gestures, imitative expression and physiognomy of human beings... If one remains at this stage, very little can really be gained. One must pass on. Occult education is carried on most rationally in this realm. One must pass over to the plants. The animals can be left out. It is not very important to study them. But after one has trained oneself a little in clairvoyance to learn the inner being of a person's soul from his or her physiognomy and gestures, then it is important to turn to the plant world and educate oneself further by means of this. Here someone clairvoyantly trained can have very remarkable experiences. They will feel profoundly the difference between the leaf of a plant that, let us say, runs to a point and the leaf of a plant that has the form B, which is rounded on the top, between a blossom that grows upward in this way, C, like an open cup, and one which opens outward, like a V. A whole world of difference appears in inner experience if one directs occult vision of the second stage to a lily or to a tulip, or if one lets an oat panicle or a wheat or barley stalk work upon one. All this becomes as living and speaking as the physiognomy of a human being. And when this speaks as livingly as human physiognomy and gestures, when we feel how the blossom that opens outward has something of the character of a hand that turns outward with the inner surface below and the outer surface above, and when we find another blossom that closes its petals above like the two hands folded, if we feel the gestures, the physiognomy, and the colors of the plant world to be something like a human physiognomy, then the inner vision, occult perception, and understanding are stimulated, and we recognize a third category of the beings of the second hierarchy, whom we call the spirits of wisdom. This name is chosen by way of comparison because when we consider a human being in his or her mimicry, physiognomy, and gestures, we see their spiritual part, which is filled with wisdom, springing forth externally, manifesting itself. In this way we feel how the spiritual beings of the second hierarchy permeate all nature and find expression in the physiognomy, collective gestures, and collective mimicry of nature. Flowing wisdom passes full of life through all beings, through all realms of nature, and not merely a general flowing wisdom, for this flowing wisdom is differentiated into a profusion of spiritual beings, into the profusion of the spirits of wisdom. When occult consciousness raises itself to these spirits, it is at first the highest stage of those spiritual beings whom we can reach in this manner. But just as we could say that the beings of the third hierarchy, the angels, archangels, and spirits of the age, have offspring who separate from them, so too the beings of the second hierarchy likewise have offspring. In the course of time there are detached from the beings of the second hierarchy, in the same way as we were able to describe yesterday with regard to the beings of the third hierarchy, other beings of a lower order who are sent down into the kingdoms of nature, just as the nature spirits by the third hierarchy, who then become, as it were, the master builders and overseers in miniature in the kingdom of nature. 
Now the spiritual beings who are detached from the beings of the second hierarchy and sink down into the kingdoms of nature are those designated in occultism as the group souls of the plants and animals, the group souls of the individual beings. So that occult vision of the second stage finds in the beings of the plant and animal kingdoms spiritual beings who are not, as in humanity, individual spirits in individual human beings, but we find groups of animals, groups of plants that are of like form, ensouled by a common spiritual being. The form of the lion and tiger and other forms are, for instance, ensouled by a common soul being. These we call group souls, and these group souls are the detached offspring of the beings of the second hierarchy, just as the nature spirits are the offspring of the third hierarchy. Thus, when we penetrate from below, upward, into the higher worlds, we find when we look at the elements, which are of importance to all the beings of the plant, animal, and human kingdoms, that in these elements, in solidic, in solid, fluidic, and gaseous matter, nature spirits rule, who are the offspring of the beings of the third hierarchy. If we ascend from the elements of earth, water, and air to what lives in the nature kingdoms by the aid of these elements, <clears throat> we find the spiritual beings, group souls, who animate and interpenetrate the beings of these nature kingdoms, and these group souls are spiritual beings detached from those we call the beings of the second hierarchy. You can realize from this that those beings that we call the group souls are actually perceptible only to occult vision of the second stage, only for those occultly developed individuals who can extend their own etheric body as tentacles is it possible to know the beings of the second hierarchy and also the group soul beings who exist in the various kingdoms of nature. Still more difficult is the ascent to the beings of the first hierarchy and to those beings who are their offspring in the kingdoms of nature. We shall speak further about these in the next lecture. The end of lecture four.